tonight as we continue this uh, next section of the book of Joshua that covers chapters 13 through 21 uh, that Josh Beck started last week. And we could, uh, we could say that the theme of this section of Joshua uh, could be entitled Possessing the Land of Promise. Sadly, these are the chapters, though, of the book of Joshua that are often ignored, partly because they lack all the action of chapters uh, 1 through 12. As Ralph Davis writes in his excellent commentary on Joshua, he says these words. He says, watching war movies always tends to be more exciting than participating in land surveys. Yet we're given these land surveys, uh, these stories of Israel possessing their great inheritance of the land for a reason. Let us never forget that this is also the inspired, authoritative word of God given to us. That we need to attach our minds and hearts to these chapters uh, to see what God is teaching us. So uh, today we'll cover, tonight we'll cover chapter 14, starting in verse 1. Read with me. These are the inheritances that the people of Israel received in the land of Canaan, which Eliezer the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the people of Israel gave them to inherit. Their inheritance was by lot, just as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses for the nine and one-half tribes. For Moses had given an inheritance to the two-and-a-half, two-and-one-half tribes beyond the Jordan, but to the Levites he gave no inheritance among them. For the people of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. And no portion was given to the Levites in the land, but only cities to dwell in with their pasture lands for their livestock and their substance." The people of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses, they allotted the land. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, in Kadesh Barnea concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, These 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in that day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Then Joshua blessed him and he gave Hebron to Caleb the son of Jephunneh for an inheritance. Therefore Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord the God of Israel. Now the name of Hebron formerly was Kiriath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. And the land had rest from war. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word given to us tonight. We pray that by your spirit we can hear 
we can learn and we can grow in our faith this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, many years ago, uh, before the Academy Awards became pretty political, I was a big fan. Big fan of the yearly Oscars ceremony. As a bit of a movie buff, I enjoyed predicting who would win Best Actor and Best Picture, Best Supporting Actors, even the really geeky Technology Awards. I like to predict those two. But when I, one award I always looked forward to was the Lifetime Achievement Award. Something always seemed great about that award. It, award, it was given as an honorary award, you probably know, uh, in recognition of a lifetime of service in the filmmaking business or some significant contribution to the world of the cinema. When someone wins this sort of award in any field, it says something, doesn't it, about commitment, about dedication, about perseverance and passion in their profession. Well, in our text tonight in Joshua 14, we read of a man who could have also received a Lifetime Achievement Award, not for his acting or his directing skills, but for his life of faith in the God of the universe. We see here Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite. But if this Caleb would have to be called to the front, come forward to the microphone to accept his honorary award, he wouldn't have just been one of those who gave lip service and said, thank uh, the Lord for this. I suspect he would have made it clear who really deserved this award. So as we dive into Joshua 14, we're going to focus mainly on verses 6 through 15 to see how Caleb the Kenizzite is a model of our faith, a model of a lifetime of faith. And hopefully the Spirit will move on each one of our hearts to grow in this faith as well as we witness three things about Caleb's faith, his wholehearted faith, a faith that didn't weaken over time, and a faith that was word-based. So let's look at our text together again, starting in verse 6, where we see that Caleb had a faith that was wholehearted, a faith that was wholehearted. Now, as you're probably aware, names in the Bible uh, often describe uh, either a person's character or something that God has done or is doing in his or her life. Well, I think Caleb uh, has a name that shows both of these things, uh, both God's work in his life uh, over all these years, as well as the outflowing character of his life. The name Caleb originated from one of two possible Hebrew derivations. The first one is from two smaller words, the word cow, which means whole, and lev, which means heart, put together, whole-hearted. And then there's a second possible way that Caleb was derived, and it's from the singular word, Hebrew word kalev, which means dog-like. No offense to Pastor Caleb on that name. So instead of the dog-like one, we're going to run with the wholehearted meaning as the best one for Caleb. But to all of you dog lovers out there, really we can use that one as well because dogs are pretty wholehearted, aren't they, in their dedication to their masters as well. So three times we read in our text that Caleb wholly followed the Lord. His faith was a wholehearted sort of faith. And you'll notice as you heard that text, Caleb telling his own story, 
He said that he was 40 years old when God, through Moses, selected him to be one of the 12 men to spy out the land of promise. You remember that story, right? What a huge privilege, right? What an incredible mission that was given to him. And Caleb treated it this way. He operated from a wholehearted faith, exploring the land for 40 days, believing God was giving it to Israel. Now, if you'll turn back in your Bibles to November, Numbers 13, with me, I want you to put a finger in Numbers 13, because we're going to read from several verses in Numbers 13 and 14, just to remind ourselves of the story very briefly. Because uh, as we read there, of the 10, uh, of, of the 12 spies, 10 of the spies brought a report back of the land saying it's a, it's a great land, but there was no way they could possess it, right? There, there were all those fortified cities, and there were all those people who were giants. And so if you look at Numbers 13, verse 30, we read these important words. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. But as you continue to scan that text, you'll see that the people believed the 10 faithless spies and began to rebel against Moses. And then we read in what Caleb and Joshua uh, did and said in response, they tore their clothes in their grief and said these words, the land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred to us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Amazingly, bold and faith-filled words, these words that came from a wholehearted faith. They're, brim they're brimming with confidence, aren't they? In the Lord. But what result did this wholehearted faith get from half hearted, fear filled Israelites? Well, look at chapter 14, verse 10. Then all the congregation, it reads, said to stone them with stones. For their faith, for their wholehearted faith, they received a lynch mob ready to kill them. All because Caleb and Joshua as well spoke in faith, holding on. To the word of God. Of course, thankfully, we know they weren't stoned as we read the rest of verse 10, but the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. And you know the rest of the story, right? God's people were punished, were not allowed to enter the land at this time because of their rebellious fear. Caleb the Kenizzite was one of two spies and one of the few who followed God wholly. He was willing to stake his life on it from possible death from both Canaanite and Israelite. He had a wholehearted faith in his God. So now turn back to our text in chapter 14 as we read again the words of, from Caleb's own mouth in verses 7 through 8. Listen to the word heart and the contrast of hearts there. He says... To Joshua, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. 
And I brought him Moses' word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. So there it is, right? Caleb had a faith that was whole, complete, firm. The people's faith, the Israelites' faith, was melted, soft, and mushy, unfortunately. But we need to make something very clear, don't we, about Caleb's faith. This was no mere human bravado. He didn't look at those fortified cities and the giants in the land and say, ah, no problem, we can take them. Caleb wasn't some overconfident athlete who looks at the better team and arrogantly thinks that he can't lose. No, Caleb put his wholehearted faith in what God was able to do. To put it another way, he believed in the mission that God gave to him. Do you remember the mission? You have to look again back to Numbers to see the mission because the mission was not send men into the land to see if we're able to take it. No, here are the words from the Lord in Numbers 13, verse 1. Listen very carefully to the mission. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. Somewhere along the line, those other spies missed that part, right? But Caleb knew the land was already theirs from the gracious hand of God. They were just going in to receive it. That's what a wholehearted faith looks like in a real man in a real time. It's a model for you, for me, as an example of the grace of a wholehearted faith. So that makes us ask those questions about ourselves, I hope. We need to ask ourselves, do I have that sort of wholehearted faith in Christ, or am I more half-hearted or prone to fear? Do I stay on mission, following Jesus where I'm called, confidently knowing that God is at work? Or do I resist the mission, thinking the enemy is too big, Or do I choose comfort rather than the fight of faith? Or do I put my faith in places where people stand against us because of Christ? Or do I follow the rest of the rebellious crowd? Can you say today with Caleb that you are wholly following the Lord? Well, that leads us to our second place and that second aspect of Caleb's faith. He had a faith that didn't weaken over time. And we see that in verses 10 and 11. So in our text, we, of course, are now 45 years in the future, later than Numbers chapter 13 and 14, um, since Caleb was first called to spy out the land. So under the leadership of the only other spy who had faith in God, now the land was being possessed right under Joshua by the power and grace of God. So Caleb goes to Joshua uh, as an 85-year-old follower of God. And look at verse 10. He says these words, And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years, since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. Well, behind these words is the harsh and tragic reality 
that all of Caleb's generation, including the ten fearful spies, died in the wilderness, never getting to see or inherit the land of promise. By God's grace, Caleb lived through all that. He watched them die while still putting his faith in God to deliver on his promise. Remember, again, he and Joshua tore their clothes in grief, deeply grieving as the people of God acted in fear instead of faith. He knew the consequences of faithlessness. So he's here in chapter 14, uh, able to say that the Lord has sustained me. He delivered me through the wilderness. He kept me alive when so many others died. Yet we know here, we hear here in these words that Caleb was no mere survivor. His faith was strengthened, not weakened over time. Listen again to how he describes himself as an 85 years young man in verse 11. He says, I am still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me. My strength now as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. How many of us can say that in our older age? But was Caleb just speaking of his physical strength? Was he just proud of his gym workout routine or his healthy eating patterns while in the wilderness? While he certainly could have been very physically healthy and an incredibly fit senior citizen, still able to go to war, as he said, if needed, I have to believe he is talking about his spiritual strength as well. Caleb's faith had remained strong all these years, through all the wilderness tragedies, through all the isolation, through all the waiting. Just as he was ready to fight for what God had given him 45 years before, he was still true to the mission today, ready to keep on fighting the good fight of faith. His faith hadn't weakened over time. Now, we have to guess his faith, there were certainly plenty of times of testing of Caleb's faith. His faith could have been weak at times. He wasn't superhuman spiritually or physically. And yet, he's an example to us of how our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ should be. It should strengthen with time, with age, with life experience, even in this fallen world. It shouldn't weaken. We should be just as strong in our faith and in our confidence in the Lord as we were in our youth. But sadly, the trials and temptations in this life can serve to weaken our faith in Christ. We can be people who lose heart. We can be people who get too comfortable. We can lose focus on our mission. We can give in to weakness. But Caleb's example stands before us in God's word to encourage us, to inspire us, to see what the power of the Spirit does with saving faith. The Spirit fans our faith. He enlivens our faith. He solidifies our faith. He gives us rock-solid, bold confidence in the Lord over time. For those here, and there's not many young people here, most of them are off at Super summer Sunday night, but those who are younger, hopefully this uh, inspires us in our young life to be what we, to aspire to this as we get older. 
But for those of you who are older or even much older, I hope and pray we say these same words about you. Because even the Apostle Paul echoes Caleb, I think, in the New Testament uh, in a couple of places. For one, in 2 Corinthians 4.16, where he says these words, uh, same truth in different words. He says, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. This is what Caleb was talking about. So whether or not in your old age, whether or not you are physically strong, what's essential is you must remain and grow stronger in the faith. As Paul reminds Timothy, so we must also remember in 1 Timothy 4.8, he says these words, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds the promise for the present life and also for the life to come. We must always pray for and strive for a faith that doesn't weaken over time. Well, then lastly, Caleb had a faith that was word-based. As I said in the introduction, beginning in chapter 13, we have this theme of God's people possessing the land, or better said, inheriting the land from the Lord. After all the conquest of the first 12 chapters, now we see Israel finally receiving what was promised to them. So look back with me to verses 1 through 5 of our chapter. We won't ignore those. What we have here is a summary of the inheritance given to the nine and a half tribes west of the Jordan. The land that was allotted just as God commanded it to be. And then we also have mention of the other two and a half tribes that received their inheritance on the other side of the Jordan by their request. So during that time when the land is being allotted, we have here the tribe of Judah showing up uh, to get their inheritance, to get their land assignments, to see their land survey. And at that time, Caleb shows up as well. And so look at verse 9 again, where we see Caleb making his request, or starting his request. He says these words, And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land of which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have followed, wholly followed, the Lord my God. You see what he's basing his request on, what he's basing his request for his inheritance on. Not on all that he had done for God, not on how he was faithful when so many were not, not on the basis of his strength and courage, but solely on the promise that God had made through his servant Moses. Yes, this promise was made based partly on his wholehearted faith, but we know his faith as our faith as well is simply an instrument of God's grace. And now that the allotments were being handed out, it was time for God's promise to be fulfilled. So look down at verse 12 where we see Caleb finishing his request then. He says, so now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out, just as the Lord said. Now, don't miss what particular land 
Caleb the Kenizzite was requesting. This specific land that the ten spies said would be impossible to possess, right? The land with the great fortified cities and those Anakim giants, right? Caleb was ready to fight for the same land that he was ready to fight for 45 years before. Can you imagine waiting 45 years for something God has promised you? Well, that's one of the great themes of how God works in the lives of his people. You will wait. You will wait, but you'll receive what God has promised you. And it's always worth the wait. So now Caleb says, I'm ready. Give me that land. Give me that hill country that God has promised. Again, his faith was on the word of the Lord. It was a word-based faith, not a presumptive faith, not a self-relying faith. It was solely based on the word of the Lord. But you might have read those words with me and said, wait a minute, isn't there kind of some doubt on Caleb's part when he said, it may be that the Lord will be with me? No, this is not some maybe, like maybe my team will win the championship this year, or maybe I'll get that job I am applying for. As Ralph Davis points out, <clears throat> this it may be is Caleb exuding expectancy. As he writes, he says, Caleb is confident, not cocky. He has the tension that all believers should have. Full faith in what God can do, but a full submission to God's sovereign will. That's faith, isn't it? <clears throat> That's true, wholehearted faith. Caleb fully believed that God would be with him as he did 45 years before, as God promised to be with him there. His faith was the same as it was then. God would keep his promise, and so he was confidently asking Joshua for his inheritance now. So again, ask yourself about your faith. Is it based on the promises of God? Is it totally word-based? Or can sometimes it be grounded in something else? Because it's often tempting, isn't it, for even Christians to put their faith in something other than God's word. Or even worse, in things that we think the word of God teaches or promises as biblical literacy has been trending downward over the past generations, it shouldn't surprise us that many Christians' faith is weakening as cultural challenges increase. Because the truth is that knowing God's word is connected not just to saving faith, but to sanctifying, growing, maturing faith, to growth in our faith. When we don't know the Holy Scriptures, we are not fully able to stand firmly on the promises of God. We can mistakenly put our faith in what we feel God should be doing for us or what we think we would do if we were God. But the question in our mind should always be, what has God said he would do? This is what Caleb knew. He knew exactly what God said he would do through his deliverer Moses. To count on God's word, to have a word-based faith, we must grow in the knowledge and wisdom 
of God's word, then our faith will not weaken and our faith will be wholehearted. So then we get to the concluding verses of chapter 14, which also give us the results of Caleb's faith-filled request. Let's read it once more, once more the last couple of verses. It, they read, Then Joshua blessed him, and he gave Hebron to Caleb the son of Jephunneh for an inheritance. Therefore Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Now the name of Hebron formerly was Kiriath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim, and the land had rest from war. That last bit is not just trivia. It's to remind us that no longer Kiriath Arba, the city of those pagan giants that somehow were too difficult to defeat. But God defeated them and gave that inheritance to Caleb. And what an important city Hebron would become. It would be later given by God to King David as the early capital of his kingdom. So again, great words at the end of chapter 14, the land had rest from war. Caleb, who was ready, even at 85 years old, to keep up the fight, now himself had rest from war as well. What a picture of our rest that we will gain one day when we enter our ultimate heavenly land of promise. This is a picture, isn't it? This is a foreshadow of all who live a wholehearted faith, all who hold on to God's word, whose faith does not weaken. Because when we have a faith that endures, what does Jesus promise us? In the words of the parable of the talents found in Matthew 25, we can look forward to hearing words like this. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. As an example of faith, Caleb inherited a, a little city to live out the rest of his days on his earth, on this earth. And when he died, we know we have to believe he entered into his ultimate vast inheritance and the joy of his master. What well, we know as believers tonight that our internal inheritance is in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the author and finisher of our faith. By his work in our hearts, we can live a life of faith, a wholehearted faith, a faith that doesn't weaken, a faith in God's word, and be faithful to the mission we, will, we continue to have on this earth until one day we receive what God has promised us. Let's go in that hope and peace and joy tonight. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you <clears throat> for this example of faith in Caleb, uh, this refreshing look at what our growing years of age through struggle and wilderness and trials should be in each one of us, as you grow us in the grace of a wholehearted faith, a strong faith, a faith <clears throat> that is in your word. Uh, we pray you do the work by your spirit in our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.